0: Greetings, greetings, greetings. There have been, and there will continue to be for a long time, (laughs) stories written and told about August 5th, 2023, when the Montgomery Brawl, as it has been called, or the Day of the Chair, um, what are some others I've heard? I heard a Mexican man um, (laughs) do a video saying it was... Cinco de Agosto, like how Mexican people celebrate um, Cinco de Mayo. Um, he said, we will celebrate with you on the Cinco de Agosto. Um, but the brawl on the Alabama, uh, Montgomery, Alabama riverfront was a significant situation on so many levels, including ancestral Um, Just a couple of hours prior to the brawl, there were some people who had done, uh, who had given an offering to the water in memory of ancestors who had gone through some horrible things there. Um, Black people who had gone through some horrible things there. And um, I I hear that there was a Trump rally like the day before. So the energies were, were... the conflicting energies were there, um, for sure. But this article, I just had to read it for my podcast because the author, who is uh, Randall Horton, he just captured it in ways that people who are not—I will say specifically—Black people who are not from Alabama—his um, perspective is is so on point and. No, I'm not from the South. Um, In this physical life, I was born in New York City. So my perspective of Alabama, I've had that perspective of Southern people, especially Alabama. I've never been there, and I honestly, I've never wanted to go. But I'm familiar with it, the stories about it, and that's why I don't want (laughs) to go. But his, again... What he wrote about the situation in Alabama, about the perspective of Black people in Alabama, is significant. And I wanted to capture that for my podcast. Shout out to author Randall Horton. This was a really um, eye-opening perspective. I give thanks. title of this article is damn right I come from Alabama the symbolic and historic importance of the Alabama sweet tea party so sweet tea sweet tea I didn't get sweet tea party from it but this is his interpretation of it and sweet home and sweet tea is really tied to the south right There's even a song by Leonard Skinner called Sweet Home Alabama. And Sweet Home, for me, takes me back to the movie Django and all the people who lived on the Sweet Home plantation and um, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character who kept on referring to Sweet Home. Sweet Home, Sweet Home, you know, too much sweet will kill you. Overly sugary sweet tea or anything else. That smile. That sweet home plantation smile. White, that white smile. What's your name? Can I touch your hair? Mm, Alabama sweet tea. So anywho, the article is... Damn Right I Come From Alabama, the Symbolic and Historic Importance of the Alabama Sweet Tea Party, and it was in Salon Online Magazine. As a native son of Alabama, I would like to pull back the veil that surrounds the Black experience and provide insight into why the event that has been dubbed the Alabama Sweet Tea Party is my own personal flashpoint in Alabama history. For context, it was not until I entered Howard University in Washington, D.C., coming from Birmingham, Alabama, that I first became aware of the misconceptions and ultimately the stereotypes about me from being born in a city known for dog bites and dynamite blasts, for killing Four little black girls and critically wounding another on Sunday morning in a house of worship. A day of dedicated peace and spirituality. Even at Howard, that great mecca of higher learning, there was always a formulaic assumption about black southerners. That we were country-fied hicks. Docile. Unaware of the social constructs that bind us to a way of living. Incapable of resistance, our draw, the way we said, man and girl, instead of man and girl, made us different. A sort of sideshow, an oddity within the fabric of blackness. At Howard, students from Alabama were often referred to as Bama's. The underlying sentiment of those assumptions almost always came with pity for being born inside the cradle of the Confederacy. I must assume these statements emitted from a catalog of memory handed down by parents, grandparents, friends, and the larger public perception in major urban centers of what it meant to be Black, to be Southern, and to be from Alabama. I often found myself having to address Northern and East Coast ignorance when students made backward comments like, where are your bell bottoms? Or how come you don't look like a country Bama? I am a proud Alabamian. I love the way I grew up in a cocoon of black love, never once questioning what it meant to walk in my own skin within the contours of American life. As a poet, a writer, and a college professor, one who deals with language in an intimate way, I've forever been interested in, or perhaps obsessed with, Alabama as the setting of many of my nonfiction, poetic, and social justice endeavors. My very first book, a collection of poetry called The Definition of Place, was from a historical perspective of Black life in Alabama the strong lineage of family resistance that began in 1902 with a shootout in a covered wagon when my relatives, Wiley and Percy Finnell, were coming home from church in a covered wagon in Guntersville, Alabama with their wives. They were confronted by a white man named Major King and an unnamed white accomplice riding horseback. After, not giving up the women, to be molested and raped, a shootout occurred between the covered wagon and the white men. At the same time as lead bullets pierced through thin air, approaching the gun battle from another direction, were my great-great-great-uncles Bud and Dennis Merrill, who had been out all night drinking moonshine at a juke joint. Consequently, my kinfolk let buckshot flow freely from their gun barrels until Major King and his accomplice ceased to breathe and walk upright. Ultimately, it is a story that could never be repeated during Bud and Dennis's lifetime as the assailants who fired the buckshot have never been identified in a court of law. Reader's note right here. I found out in my family, this is on my father's father's side, that when they were in New Orleans, this is my grandfather's brothers. When they were in New Orleans, how they got to New York was the women in my family, a couple of women in my family were considered very beautiful. And they were, and there were white men who wanted them and tried the molesting rape thing. And their brothers weren't going for it. And those white men got killed. And you don't just kill a white man in the South in 1920s or whatever this was and get away with it. So, they left and moved to New York. And so, that's how my father's family ended up in New York. So, it happened. Like, the resistance is in a lot of... Resistance stories are in a lot of families. Yeah. A lot of us were... A lot of people... Uh, black people, you'll see pictures of white people smiling under dead bodies that they lynched, right? We see those stories because cause white people were proud of what they did and they took the photographs. And they're in history books now. The history books that they're trying to ban. <laughs> that's your history. It's not my history, that's your history. Our history is the one that's untold. The families that got away And we're survivors of those that got away. And we still honor the lives of those who didn't get away. Those are the ones we give offerings for so that they can have restful peace on the other side. But for the ones who did get away, we're their survivors. All the history has not been told. So I love that he shared this story in this article, continuing. Then too, my mother was president of the Alabama Education Association for four years and her main office was in Montgomery. When we integrated Gardendale Elementary in Jefferson County as part of the first wave of integration in 1972, not that long ago, my mother gave me one mandate. If someone white hits you and calls you the N-word in I. G G E R, you knocked the f- out of them. <laughs> it took exactly one year from me entering Gardendale Elementary to do exactly what my mother told me to do, and then I demanded to leave and be placed in an all black school because of my personal experience of how people view black Alabamians. I've always wanted to celebrate Alabama as writers often do with geographical locations near and dear to them. The joys and resilience of black life I've tried to highlight have often been overshadowed by ignorant stances that the state has taken. From ultra right-wing conservatism that believes Donald J. Trump is godlike to the national embarrassment that is Senator Tommy Tuberville And I refuse to give either space in this writing. Alabama is always and I repeat always the butt of the joke on racism and its systemic oppression of people of color. I need for you to understand there is always a silent dialogue within the black collective. These are the private conversations people outside the culture are not privy to. This dialogue comes from those who live or feel invisible within the fabric of the American flag. The ones beaten, shot, and maimed, not only by the police, but by citizens of the state too. They speak of a different America, one barely recognizable in daily media and news cycles. They watch, Intently, as political figures get away with obstruction of justice, sedition, and insurrections against the United States because the government is afraid of the backlash, while their brothers, sisters, friends, and family members are locked up, doing prison time for much, much less, they understand the the distribution of justice and fairness is unequal on august 5th 2023 in montgomery alabama about 65 miles south of my hometown of birmingham the narrative of of alabama in my opinion changed through one single event the scene unfolded in great cinematic fashion at riverfront park on a dock as the harriet to a 19th century riverboat that is the centerpiece of Montgomery's Entertainment District, was being steered portside to dock in its designated space that features the Riverwalk Amphitheater in the background, except that it could not dock because a pontoon was blocking entry. One of the co-captains of the Harriet II, Mr. Damien Pickett, had to take a smaller boat to the dock to sort out the problem so the riverboat could moor. On the dock, after multiple tries to get the owners to move the pontoon, Mr. Pickett took the initiative, as was his job, to solve the problem to move the pontoon that the occupants refused to move. If the Harriet II was to pull in portside, that needed to happen. Apparently, the pontoon party was not happy about having its boat moved and behaved As if this was the worst insult that that they could have ever gotten in life, being shown up by a black man in public, (laughs) empowered by the sum of Alabama history, a preconceived notion about Alabama blackness and an ignorance of black culture members of this clandestine clan of everything that continues to contribute to the backward representations of Alabama, decided to jump Pickett, in plain view, presumably to teach him a lesson to put him in his place. Meanwhile, the occupants of the Harriet II, along with Pickett's fellow crew members, some who have known him all his life, were watching their co-captain fight for his life as the Harriet II steadily pulled in. It all unfolded in slow motion and cinematic sequence. There are literally dozens of points of view of this event. The overwhelming number of cell phone videos documenting what happened can be found on various social media platforms in extensive detail. In other words, this ain't 1963, but 2023 and thank whoever you believe for the cell phone. I wish it weren't so, but this was totally about race. The complexion of one's skin, white privilege, and living in a state that condones and consistently attempts to subvert, demean, and oppress the black experience every chance it gets. The symbolism within the Alabama Sweet Tea Party is too rich to ignore. Especially when we live in a climate where American citizens believe there were benefits to slavery. That teaching black history creates white guilt and that black people should feel guilty for the guilt. Also, we cannot ignore another overarching theme of this event the appearance of Donald J. Trump in Montgomery one day after being arraigned on federal charges in a Washington courtroom. Evidently, the former president feels his racist tendencies have a life cycle in sweet home Alabama. I cannot verify this, but I'm willing to bet money that some, if not all, the people involved in attacking this black co-captain at least wished they were at that Trump event, too. When it became clear the white voters intended to jump picket in an unfair fight, he did a move, throwing his hat straight up in the air before the fight began. No, that was not the Wakanda call, as some have claimed. Anybody familiar with black Alabama culture will tell you the symbolic hat throwing is always a preface to the fight, as in, okay... Now it's on, let's get it on. This brings us to the 16-year-old crew member on board the Harriet II and his place in my canon of Alabama history. If any piece of that white privilege on the dock had read the poem Shine about a subversive mythological character in African literature said to be a crew member on the Titanic in the boiler room eating black-eyed peas when water came damn near up to his knees, who displayed an unbreakable will to swim across the ocean while the white folks drowned in their own privilege. That might have dispelled the idea that black folks can't swim. The 16-year-old saw his colleague in trouble, understood the assignment when the hat went in the air, and hit a swan dive from the Harriet into the river, and then commenced to freestyle across the channel, moving through rugged water like wet butter, fully clothed, which is not easy to do at all. The symbolism of that dive. Those against all odds, purposeful strokes, the determination to reverse the narrative of Black people in Alabama while understanding history proved to be a galvanizing force that has captured the imagination and hearts of Black people all over this country. A 16-year-old Black kid did that. Throughout the weeks ahead, you will read several takes on what happened in various media outlets. And at some point you will read the phrase, I do not condone violence. And for the sake of not sounding cliche, I will not do that. Instead, I will offer that the call and response to protecting Damien Pickett may have ignited a black love that often seems lost while disrupting or perhaps destroying the stereotypical idea of what it means to be a Bama or to be for Alabama. I, for one, am thankful for that. From this day forward, please call me Bama. couple of footnotes to this story that I found out recently. And this was from the captain of the ship telling his story and also the mother of one of the um employees, the dock employees, who got assaulted. It was a 16-year-old white boy who was alongside Mr. David Pickett, who was the co-captain of the ship. Everybody kept calling him a security guard. The assumption is that the black man was a security guard but he was actually co-captain of the ship and um <clears throat> first of all those the attackers it was definitely racially motivated and they were very open about the use of the n-word so if if police or whoever is prosecuting needs proof. The N word is that's 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 what you usually, you know, if somebody was to call somebody a slur, a racial slur while physically attacking them, guess what? That's a hate crime. But Alabama's trying to not not uh classify it as a hate crime, although it definitely is. Um and yes, a white boy got <coughs> hit. As well, but only because he was helping that black man. They didn't attack. They didn't jump him. They punched him. They punched a child so that he wouldn't help a black man. And then went back to focusing on jumping that black man. Okay. Uh, Another aspect is after everything was over, like the physical altercations had stopped because police did move in. Mind you, police were there for a minute. Police moved in once that black man started wielding the chair. That's when they started doing something. Huh. And they immediately grabbed who they saw being actively, you know, assaultive, if that's a word. Um, but they did not... And I mean, did not do anything to those white people who had started the whole thing. The white people were so confident that they weren't going to get arrested. They casually, this is all on video. They casually walked up to the police to explain their part. And to to just stand there watching black people get arrested for what they knew they started. The white women that were with them on cue, started crying their white tears. And so the only reason those people even got arrested was because the black people who not only physically helped Mr. Pickett out of the situation, they had video proof and they pointed out who should be getting arrested are the people who started the fight, the altercation. Also found out that the boat They asked them for 45 minutes. 45 minutes? And those white people's response to being asked to move their boat, middle finger, inward, just all kind of just rude and nasty. And, And this is from the white captain of the boat, the ship, the boat, whatever. He knew who those people were because that's not the first time that they've had problems with them. Those people have vandalized property before. They've done stuff at that pier. They have not gotten banned. They have not gotten arrested for anything they did before. They've been allowed to behave the way that they behaved. So it's actually not a surprise that they did what they did, jumped on that black man. And when they did it, the police were called for them. The police didn't do anything to them they literally if those other black people wouldn't have said anything and had the video they would have gotten on their boat and gotten away without getting arrested the police did not initially arrest them for assaulting mr pickett how many times have we heard this story when police get to where a white person or white people are doing something wrong Oh, we can have a discussion. Just this everybody calm down. They assaulted that black man. And they were not going to initially do any arresting. But they damn sure were gonna arrest the white the black people who were fighting back. So those are just a few footnotes. The story is um, very intricate and In- Intricate and bound up in Alabama habits, habitual history, habitually racist Alabama history. Ain't nothing sweet about that. <laughs>